the soul of an internet machine, a podcast journaling the adventures of a software development team creating new applications for a Belgian client called Electrotest. We are striving to meet the client's requirements, improve process, build great software, have a bit of fun, and maybe make a few new friends. Follow us through our shared adventures. My name is Christina Moore. Find me at the website christinamore.us. So, welcome to Series 2023. This podcast has no sponsorships, accepts no advertising, and represents my individual efforts. Enjoy for free and no annoying interruptions. Chapter 7. That's a print. Engaging a team of software developers requires expertise, patience, and communication between the development team and the team that owns and understands the needs of the business. There are times that business can operate well with commercial software applications. Some businesses buy multiple tools. At some point, the leaders within a company acknowledge that their internal and external business workflows are inefficient or inaccurate or incompatible with other technology. Is there something about your business that sets you apart from other businesses? What is your competitive advantage? What are the messages you are sending to your client? Invoicing represents a classic example of this topic. What is an invoice? First definition, it is a document that communicates what a client owes a vendor. Second definition, it is a document that communicates. Third definition, it is a document. During this episode, we will explore how an Oracle database can produce a document, and we will explore some of the ways that organizations use and design invoices. We have pharmacies in the United States printing receipts that span nearly two meters when a customer buys a single tube of toothpaste. Someone made that decision about that design. It is a document, and it does communicate, and it informs the consumer about their purchase. Three boxes checked. But what does it communicate, and what does it say about the pharmacy? Our client, Electrotest, desires to speak in their customer's language. They wish to reinforce strong corporate branding. Electrotest is making decisions about invoicing. What does their decision say about Electrotest? So, let's explore this topic now. Databases such as Oracle rarely have the ability to produce stunning reports enriched with graphic images, font selection, and color on their own. In modern cloud-based software, databases face challenges knowing anything about the printers and peripherals that users may have. The database is located in the middle of the internet while printers like Desktop computers and tablets and mobile phones sit at the edge of the cloud. In short, classic database engines cannot create reports, yet developers like me have been doing it for decades. How? The key reason that database management and the creation of reports and documents remain isolated from each other is that they require different engines, different machines. What does a database do? It stores and retrieves data amazingly well. When designed properly, database engines hide securely behind layers of protection from the public internet. We do not need databases to share their secrets easily. As anyone who has faced a stolen credit card or identity knows, 
What does a database do and do exceedingly well? It stores data. Within, these data land within tables, within tables into records and fields, columns and rows. Speed is achieved with five-plus decades of optimization using indices and constraints on the data to ensure referential integrity. The indices improve the ability for a database engine to find an element of data within. Databases such as Oracle offer specialized coding and querying languages. As discussed in prior episodes, spanning the internet to present information on a web browser, the core database requires additional tools. For me and our team, we employ Apex as a means to present data to users via applications. Oracle Apex includes tools that create HTML-based web pages while integrating CSS to format pages, bringing in customized fonts, colors, spacing, and layouts. We seek analogous tools for printing. For we must not only span the distance of the internet to deliver a report or a document to a printer, but we must also endeavor to have a database comprehend the limits of a simple piece of paper. What does know about the simple piece of paper? What tools do we have at hand to prepare documents with fonts, colors, graphics, while controlling margins and layout? The answer appears on our desktops within Microsoft Office and within OpenOffice. Each suite of software includes word processors, spreadsheets, and presentations. In the Office suite, we refer to these tools as Word, Excel, and PowerPoint. In the OpenOffice suite, we refer to them as Writer, Calc, and Impress. To each, their strength. Office tools such as Word and Writer excel at their abilities to format a printed document. We can drag and drop graphical elements such as logos and pictures. We can rely on these tools to adjust the paper size, the margins, the font, the colors. In these documents, we can set up headers and footers. You know this. You cannot ask Microsoft Word to properly query from an Oracle database. Now, I accept that it is technically possible using some advanced tools. It is not a strength or an innate feature of Word to query databases. To illustrate the gap, I will digress with a totally stupid joke. Here goes. How do you get down off of an elephant? The answer is, you don't. You get down off of a duck. For those in my audience with less comfort in English, this podcast is listened to by folks in 25 countries, the downy feathers of a duck or a goose are used for pillows and duvets. Elephants don't have down. Why do I tell this old joke? It illustrates that we make poor assumptions. We often ask the wrong question or ask the questions in a wrong manner. How do you print a gorgeous multicolor invoice in Dutch and French from a database? The answer is, you don't. The Oracle database does not have colors and fonts, nor any knowledge of printers. Just like elephants don't have down, Oracle databases don't know how to print. But our friends at United Codes do. They have a product called Apex Office Print, which we call AOP. With AOP, we blend the power of the database with the formatting of Microsoft Word and the strength of the portable document format, PDF, to each their own strength. This is where middleware fits in. Where does middleware go? In the middle. 
Middleware is the software-based infrastructure of applications. Middleware bridges the gap that we find in the diversity of internet machines. Web browsers speak with HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. My database speaks with SQL and PLSQL. Oh, yes. One of my friends informed me that I'm supposed to say SQL instead of SQL. That's what the hip cool kids say. And I do when speaking casually and rapidly, but I have spent nearly three decades talking with audiences. The word SQL has multiple meanings, whereas SQL is precise. Furthermore, Saying SQL ties the phrase back to its real meaning of structured query language. How do we create documents from a database? First, we use data within Oracle databases to prepare the data. We do this through queries written in SQL. Second, we format the document with representations of text and data, the page layout, supporting graphical elements, typically with a word processor. It is possible to use any of the tools listed above. Excel, Calc, PowerPoint, Impress. Third, we print to a digital file, commonly a PDF. But we can go to any of them. This is a brilliant solution born of years, of decades of struggle. So often during the podcast, whether I write or not, I explore my personal history of these emerging technologies. I did watch an excellent YouTube documentary this recent week about the history of BASIC. The programming language BASIC had been invented at Dartmouth approximately on the year of my birth. First, it was cool being reminded yet again that each of these tools, these machines, were invented by human beings. They put their life's thoughts and personalities and desires into these machines. They literally invested these tools with a soul that lives on. Second, The story merged and mixed two themes. Dartmouth College also invented the time-sharing technology that forms the bedrock of all cloud-based computing. Dartmouth College built a computing center on the campus, then strove to get undergraduate students involved with computers. The documentary illustrated how students of nearly every discipline were encouraged to use computers. Dartmouth had one computer. It was small for the day. And part of the backstory was a professor would take a train weekly from Hanover, New Hampshire to Boston, Massachusetts with a stack of cards. Once in Boston, he would take the subway to MIT, run the code that had been carried on the cards. The code would run. Then he would take the train back to Hanover with the results. In my day, decades later, we refer to SneakerNet as a means of walking documents across a room to print or share. The gang at Dartmouth wrote an operating system that permitted jobs to run through a computer while sharing the processor. Everyone got small slices of time at the CPU. A little job might run right through. A big job might hit the CPU a few times before finishing. Listening and familiar with the technology, I saw connections today with Oracle's cloud-based offering and Amazon's AWS, as well as others. Oracle database jobs, when running on cloud-based servers, in fact, any well-designed server, do the same thing today. Sure, the code has changed and matured, and operating systems grew up. Watching this video, I connected in so many ways to this story. About 10 to 15 years after BASIC was invented, I sat at a terminal at my high school 
writing code in BASIC. Echoes of that ancient technology ring in our daily work today. The personalities, decisions, assumptions, and efforts that the pioneers invested in BASIC and time-sharing impacts our lives today. Before we recognized that the process of laying out database documents in a word processor was smarter, faster, and better, we all attempted to design database documents from other tools. Commonly, we measured little boxes or we counted distance in picas or millimeters. We placed data fields on a grid, just like a kid doing math homework on graph paper. The work was tedious. And when anything changed, the whole thing changed. If the paper size changed from the European A4 to the American letter, one started fresh. To each, their strength. Well, we still occasionally use millimeter precision laying out a form, we do it only when needed. For example, with a client electrotest, we must accommodate a QR code that is added after the fact to invoices. We must make sure that the mailing address on an invoice is visible through the window in the envelope. Millimeter precision. When using AOP to design reports, we create a template in Word or any of the other listed tools. We lay it out by defining page size, margins, fonts, graphics. In our templating tool, we place any of that static and stable items. These static items are the text and graphics that are not generated by the database. There are a few exceptions, of course, and I'll return to that in a bit. Within the templating tool, we need to represent where the database data goes. The gang at United Codes, Dimitri and Sunil and others, opted to use squiggle brackets to offset the field names. It is not common for writers to offset a word or a phrase using a pair of squiggle brackets. By selecting this notation, AOP uses a technique that will not accidentally be used within Word. Furthermore, this technique is similar to the way that other people identify fields when doing data merges within Word, say for mailing labels or envelopes. If you want the customer name to appear, then you type a left squiggle bracket, then customer name, and a right squiggle bracket. Job one is setting up the template. The next job is setting up the data. Oracle and other databases store their data in complicated and proprietary data structures that are optimized for performance. Therefore, the data is stored in separate tables. Therefore, we need a means of querying a subset of the data and presenting it in a format that is commonly used on the internet. Any guesses? If you guess JSON as the data format, then you're exactly right. Invoice data involves two tables. There is the invoice header and the invoice detail. The invoice header includes the bill to addresses, the due date, the total amount. The invoice detail documents each line within an invoice, service provided, description, quantity, amount per line. It is more granular. One invoice, or invoice header, same thing, has multiple invoice lines. The power of JSON is that we can communicate this parent-child relationship over the internet easily. We create a single query using either Apex or SQL that creates the JSON data structure for an invoice. Given we defined AOP as middleware and not directly controlled by the user, 
we've previously set up AOP to communicate securely with our database server. We have a password and the data fields are encrypted in this middleware link. The third job is using AOP services on the cloud or on your own personal server to manage the data set within the template. The document returned is formatted and styled the way you want, PDF, Word, PowerPoint, etc. We all love it when we can identify a process with a phrase as simple as one, two, three. And in this case, it can be true. One, create a template. Two, create an SQL query that generates JSON data with the information needed from the database. Three, send both to AOP and get back a stunning document. Well, simple is wonderful. Excellence appears when you push simple up the spectrum all the way to complicated. For ElectroTest, we dialed the complexity knob all the way to 11, a reference to the movie Spinal Tap. Thank you. My colleague, Stevie Dickerson, a friend we call Stevie, uses conditional statements that change the template. We need four different graphics in the footer. ElectroTest has two divisions. One division performs inspections that must meet regulatory standards. One division performs health and safety inspections for commercial environments. So that is two different companies or divisions. Each has its own graphics and address. Footers must match the customer's preferred language, Dutch or French. Two languages, two divisions. That results in four options. Division 1, Vézévé in French. Division 1, Vézévé in Dutch. Division 2, Vézévé in French. Division 2, Vézévé in Dutch. She does the same with the four versions of the graphics that sit at the top of each page. Then the column headings that are needed and the other text are each done with conditional statements based on the customer's preferred language. She uses conditional statements to determine if the invoice is an invoice or a credit note. And if the invoice is prepaid, then if it's prepaid, the payment instructions change. You do not need to pay an invoice that's already been paid. I would have taken a very different approach. But Stevie's approach is more efficient for our team of developers. While the Word document, the template, can be difficult to read and to change, the beauty of the technique is that we have exactly one template to use anywhere that we need it to be. Had I done this, I might have used as many as four templates. I might have landed on eight templates. My technique would have resulted in more complexity during updates and changes to the code. Instead of making the changes once, I would have had to make them four, six, or eight times. I would have a simple and easy to manage template while creating more complexity in selecting the templates. Likely more code would be needed. And upgrading with multiple templates takes more steps and involves more risks. Complex things are complex. Sometimes we pick where to face the complexity. In this case, Stevie opted to face the complexity within the template. By creating one template that serves so many purposes, she must do some funny stuff to make it happen. She accepts the cost of this work within the template. She showed me recently that she takes different sections out of her template, then works with them in a new Word document, then copies them back. Had I done this, I may have simplified the template layout process, 
thereby pushing the complexity into managing multiple templates. We are not avoiding the complexity, and neither option is more correct. We made different decisions about how to face that complexity. Regardless of the solution, we must present both invoice and credit note for two divisions in one of two languages. That is three sets of two decisions, or two to the third power. At a minimum, there were eight conditions to meet. Furthermore, invoices can be prepaid or not yet paid. That would be four sets of binary decisions, or two to the fourth power, which is 16. There are 16 possible templates, or one template that creates great results for 16 different conditions. Our team bangs on ideas as if ideas were made of tin. We shape process and ideas into structured workflows. We solve problems, two divisions, two language, two document types, either paid or not paid. Our goal is to create a perfect invoice. And what is a perfect invoice? Do you know? I'm still discovering it after 30 plus years. My friend Ron, the original face of an audience member for this show, illustrated that an invoice is marketing. He said, I must prove the value of our service to our clients with every invoice. So true. And yet 10 years ago, this thought was new to me. This client electrotest shows me that we must speak to the client in their language. Yes, another overlooked truth. The invoice must be accurate, always accurate, perfectly accurate, transparently accurate. An invoice reinforces the trust between a client and a business. I heard my husband this week on the phone with the local propane gas company. They filled both of our tanks this week. The vendor invoiced us at two different rates for the two different tanks. One tank sits next to the other behind our house and surrounded by our 40 hectare, 100 acre property. My husband asked, which rate is right? Well, I knew the answer. Both rates are right. Both rates came from the propane company's software. Therefore, both rates are right. Both invoices are right. To maintain trust, of course, the propane company adjusted the rates so that they matched. Have you ever gotten a fuss with a client? The issue may be trust, missed deadlines, missed requirements, or any of the normal human experiences that cause friction. The most common battle zone centers around the humble invoice and trust. When the fuss starts, out come the invoices. What have you done for me? And how much am I paying for it? This is the universal experience. Your firm provides a product or a service. You invoice for that service. That invoice ought to inform both parties about the nature of the relationship between client and vendor. How many of you are Amazon customers? I get random invoices, frankly, not even invoices, notices that they took my money. Sometimes during the month, they bill me for $15 for something. I don't know why. It takes a lot of clicks to find answers. They don't honestly want me to research their invoices. Amazon and others use invoices to obfuscate and confuse their clients. Other companies use invoices to further leverage their clients. Several of the big box stores in the United States create massively long receipts, which are really invoices. They include discount coupons. They have awards programs. They want your email address for some lottery or notification. 
The Home Depot always wants me to save paper, help the environment, and enroll in paperless invoices, which means providing them with my email address. No. Many of these firms wish to monetize our transaction further. They are not transparent about that. They are willing to pay you for your personal information with a discount or a coupon. I don't trust that. The printed receipts from U.S. pharmacies have become a bit of a meme. People show that they bought a tube of toothpaste and then show that their receipt is not only longer than the tube of toothpaste, but that the receipt weighs more than the tube of toothpaste and that the receipt may span for nearly two meters from the purchaser's head to the concrete below their feet. I don't want my work to be a meme. Additionally, I don't want to be a data element. Thank you. In summary, some companies use the receipts or invoice process in ways that I disagree with. The invoice ought to be a professional handshake, each party entitled to the legal concept of consideration, a fair exchange that benefited both. Yes, I have an option. Nothing should be hidden. If you require my email address, then tell me why and what you will do with that information. Use plain language. And unless you do, I assume that you will sell my demographics, my age, my name, my email, my purchases to someone else. Europe has fewer of these shenanigans than the United States. The EU's General Data Protection Regulation attempts to shine a torch on this stuff. Vendors get to say, I did this for you. When listening to my friend Ron, he employs his invoice to prove value. You benefited from this service thus. Each description focused on how his firm improved their client's position. Given that Ron's firm helped American businesses with compliance, then each description linked the billable activity with improved regulatory compliance. Well done. Have I wandered too far from printing? No, because printing in business software results in invoices and other forms or reports. One client may instruct developers to create brilliantly clear invoices that are visually attractive and stunning in colors and written in the language of the recipient, like our client Electrotest. That's complicated. Our development team learned that the street names in Belgium are often done differently in French and Dutch. Not only do we need the service description to be in the recipient's language of either French or Dutch, we must also match the spelling of the address. We must match the Electrotest branded red and gray. We must match their corporate fonts and more, which I'll get to. Additionally, our spacing has to be precise to the millimeter. As software developers, we do execute unpleasant tasks with professionalism and sometimes whining. If I had a client that required one of those deliberately complicated and lengthy invoices, I would do it because I like paying my mortgage. C'est la vie. I did once develop software for a company that asked for one of these less than honorable tasks. The company is, or was, the powerhouse in wholesale food distribution. This was 15 years ago in the late 2000s. It was about the only job I could find after returning from Iraq. I landed back in the United States just as the 2008 market crunch hit. I would have sat at the street corner shaking a tin cup saying, we'll code for mortgage payment. And frankly, it's still true. 
For this firm, I wrote code in Oracle that deliberately screwed small business owners. We use the software to scan paper invoices and interpret digital invoices for the critical information. The software read the due date and the amount due. When ready to pay, the software queued their checks to be printed at the last minute on the last business hour on the due date. The code used the vendor's postal code to calculate which corporate bank account was the greatest distance from the vendor. We then printed a paper check on that bank account, which we mailed to the vendor. The vendor would then have to deposit the paper check, then wait for funds to clear. I wrote this nasty bit of software in the waning days of banks' older style practices. The added distance added days to the processing time for money. This duration is called float. The owner of this privately held company made as much an interest on the float as he did from the meager markup on the products. The financial incentives fell apart when interest rates dropped and when banks made modest improvements to the electronic movement of funds. I don't know if they're still running this code 15 years later. They may be. Some young coder likely encountered that nasty bit of logic involving postal codes and finding their remote bank. That coder looked at that crap and said, I'm not going to touch that. Let me pause to thank you. Writing articles such as this is difficult when there are no graphics. Uh, it prevents me from getting super technical. If you add pictures to a podcast, it is called a video. You've granted me access to your ear holes, and I thank you. There are folks like you listening to the show from 25 countries. You, my dear listener, took me for a walk or a drive, or you're getting some exercise. Maybe you're making something. So thank you for taking me along. I appreciate it. Badank, danka, tank, merci, gracias, grazie, shukran, shukriya, mahalo, asanti, kuyana. If you enjoy this, let me know or pass on the links to others. Returning to invoices. Invoice data has two constituents. The invoice header, printing at the head or the top of a document, identifies who is who. It identifies who the customer is and how much they owe, the due date, and other instructions. The invoice detail contains the light items for each good or service purchased. It typically has a product or a service code, the quantity purchased, the unit price, the extended price. You know this. You've seen enough invoices in your life. In the database, we tend to use two tables for these data. One table is called invoice header or just invoice, and it contains the bill to remit and all that, plus the amount owed, the due date, etc. The second table, often called invoice lines or invoice details, is a child table to the header. It contains one row of data for each item or service invoiced. Every once in a while, we use a third table. Some clients want invoices to show lines grouped together. When we group lines together, we occasionally add a third table to store the grouping data. When writing database applications for clients, we hear the phrase, yeah, but, a lot. Yeah, but, and what if, help us discover the extremities of what is required. The core remains consistent. The core remains modeling after either a legacy or manual process, grouping and subtotals, complicated tax calculations, and the like. These are the flourishes that promote the invoice into a hand-built craft. The complexity and specialization transforms the process from an off-the-shelf or store-bought process 
to a bespoke process. Remember that high school physics lesson about light, particle versus wave? The trick in this game is to remember that both matter. We must see both, the flourishes plus the core requirements. We can't go so far into the extremes of customizing an invoice that people do not instantly recognize the document as an invoice. It must be clean, accurate, and legible. On the other hand, a boring presentation of columns and rows also fails. We must honor the core principles whilst engaging creative energy to bring the document to useful life. In general, the biographical information about an invoice, who, how much, and when, sits at the invoice header table, and the specifics get stored in the invoice detail. Do we care how many lines sit within an invoice? No, we followed the data normalization guidelines to reduce redundancy and improve efficiency. One line or one million lines. The database doesn't care. Wait, can we have an invoice with no lines? Hmm, let's say no. Then, of course, we may hear the phrase, yeah, but, or the phrase, what if. Then, sure, an invoice with zero detail lines is a flourish, an exception. Cool, we can handle exceptions. I don't know why an invoice would have zero lines, but it can. We need to hand these data over to AOP so it can assemble a document. AOP is over there, and I'm pointing in some random direction. AOP is also on the cloud, or maybe you have your own AOP server. The AOP server or services are external to the database. Uh-oh, am I wandering into the land of middleware again? Yeah. Middleware is software that is infrastructure for other software. AOP is a type of middleware. It is typically not touched directly by users. We hand data to it and get results back. It is a black box that does magic stuff to our data while creating a PDF or a Word document or Excel or PowerPoint or others. In our handoff to AOP, we must communicate the data in a standard format. Once again, the industry selected JSON as a common method for passing data through middleware. JSON is a text file or a block of text that contains the data. The term JSON, spelled J-S-O-N, is the JavaScript object notation format. We use squiggle brackets or curly braces to divide up the data into a neat manner. The JSON data format is more modern and resilient and flexible than CSV and XML. XML, the extensible markup language, is also a file format for storing data. XML has been around for decades and serves the internet as a means of storing and transmitting data. While Oracle can query and manipulate XML data, some XML data present challenges to Oracle. The compatibility with JSON is just a bit neater and cleaner. Well, in Oracle, the invoice data has been stored in two tables, one for the header, one for the lines describing the details. Harken back to a prior episode, we would see this as a parent-child relationship between the header and the lines. The data, when presented in JSON, is a single file. We fold the data in upon itself, thereby nesting layers of complexity into the data. We can have customer data, invoice header data, invoice line data transmitted easily and without much redundancy. The data stored in native Oracle data tables gain efficiency by having hidden and proprietary means of storing to optimize retrieval and searching. Oracle's efficiency derives from being constructed within the fabric 
of relational databases. Early architecture and technical decisions with relational databases acknowledge their future need for storing the entire stock exchange or all airline reservations. Oracle data lack portability. JSON offers portability to these data. JSON can be read by humans and easily read by software. We are able to include images within JSON data formats as well. We convert images to a text-based jumble of numbers and letters using a base64 encoding algorithm. Within Oracle, we query the invoice data preparing a JSON data set that may also include photographs and other images. We've completed this step. In the second step, we need to lay out the invoice with fonts, colors, lines, corporate logos so that the document looks fantastic. Apex Office Print by United Codes opted to use common word processing spreadsheets and presentation tools familiar to us all. We can either use Microsoft or OpenOffice. OpenOffice is a free version created on open standards. Developers may employ the power of Word or a Word-like application to give structure to the invoice document or any other database document. We create a template. On that template, we represent where data goes by putting field names surrounded by squiggle brackets. Well, difficult to represent verbally on a podcast, you may be able to picture a Word document that has a field called customer name on the left-hand side near the margin. We wrap customer name in a pair of squiggle brackets. This technique tells AOP to substitute the word customer name with the data that is actually the customer's name. Well, United Codes did more than just substitution. I can visualize a tool that goes through my Word document replacing one thing for another. We've all been doing that for a while. We now have two of the three ingredients to prepare the AOP document. We need to transmit the invoice template, the invoice data, to the AOP engine. This AOP engine or middleware sits on a server that you may own or maybe you use the servers owned by United Codes in the cloud. Send these two ingredients over. The engine sends us an invoice printed in PDF. Clearly, everything has to be done well. The data must be complete and accurate. The template must be complete and accurate. The data fields must match the field names on the template. If there are errors or bugs, this will prevent the invoice from returning or generating a PDF. Remember the old saying, garbage in, garbage out? If we feed any engine garbage, such as malformed data or poorly constructed template, the engine will fail. Thankfully, there are cool debugging features within AOP. The guys behind AOP, Dimitri Hilis and uh, Sunil Tandon, detail the source of the errors. It is our job as developers not to hand off garbage, but if we do by accident, we can use AOP to help us pinpoint the issue and resolve it. The creation of complex and gorgeous reports from a cloud-based application requires more than what a database engine can provide alone. The database has been optimized by decades of investment by people to store and retrieve data quickly, efficiently, accurately, and reliably. We bring in other tools such as AOP to bridge the span between what a database engine does and the generation of a printable document. The trick for business leaders is to decide what message do you want your customers to hear? Electrotest decided to speak their customer's language. My old friend and client Ron decided to 
prove their value, demonstrating their effectiveness. Whereas the yet unnamed U.S. pharmacies have filled their invoices, receipts, with advertising coupons and pleas to get your personal data and stuff intended to pull you back. Frankly, I ignore it all, pitching in the bin. To me, I hear the pharmacy say, don't read this document. And maybe that is their point. And maybe they don't want me to read it. Maybe they want to confuse us. Who knows? People make these decisions. And we, developers, help them implement them. Until next time, be well, do good, and have fun. The Soul of an Internet Machine is a copyrighted production of Fire Media LLC 2023. All rights reserved. You can find me at my website, christinamore.us. Email is okay. Christina at christinamore.us. For now, I am still on Twitter with at Seymour underbar SP. That's Charlie Mike. Z-M-O-O-R-E underbar SP.